As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. It's a big shout out to the Norton Group, you know, helping us cover expenses for the podcast here. Uh, if anyone listening, if you've got seven or eight figures of investable income, they're your guys. Seven's a million, right? Yes, Dan. Seven. Okay. Seven's a million. Um, yeah. So anyway, lots to talk about today. Um, this is a really fun uh, topic that Dan and I have spent a long time prepping for. Before we jump in, a uh, little bit of cycling news this week. Uh, today, Wout van Aert had a, a really cool win at a cross race in Ireland, had a mechanical problem, lost a ton of time, and then put in a mammoth effort to take the win. Cool to see that. Uh, cyclocross nationals are happening now, I think. We'll probably circle back on that next week. Uh, Dan did want to mention really quick uh, the running group still going on. Oh, yeah. If, if you guys aren't doing the running group you're really missing out you should it, it's the it's the most palatable running i've ever done it's so much fun it, it's just it's just ingenious how it's put together um it's you know the the running's done more in the form of different games so you're not just like running along the sidewalk with cars buzzing by you you know they're in parks and and it's broken up by doing different fun activities it's super fun and I was just thinking, I know he's listening. I really want to see Miles Baker come to the running group. Shout out, so, Miles. Get out to the running group, man. Yeah. Let just, us know what I we just, have to do to see you there, dude. I just want to see that. You know, why, why, in, why Miles in particular? I'm curious. You know, I don't know. I just want to see him out there. I think it'd be good for him. Magnetic personality, that Miles. Got to yeah, get him out so. there. Um, yeah, so if, if you want any more information about that, it is on uh, Team Snap, correct? Yeah, it's just on everyone's Team Snap. Super fun. I'm not a big, I, well, in the past, I was not a big fan of running, um, but this is super fun to do. I think it's been done really well. One thing I will point out is running has exposed the many weaknesses that cycling has created in my body. Oh, yeah, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. It's, like, you get this really high level of fitness, and then you try to apply it to something else, and it doesn't work. You know, like, the parts of your body that you ignore during cycling, like aren't up to the strain that you can create and it like, like sucks yesterday you know joe and i we went on like a three-hour ride together and right. it felt fantastic felt like, great it didn't hurt a bit right i go like running for 30 for 45 minutes, minutes and it's i'm destroyed and, right you know but i have been trying to address a lot of things i've been doing some stretches and um you know and amy larkin's been helping show us what to do and stuff but i've been working on my hips because it turns out i'm like my hips aren't strong enough to keep my knees hips don't lie yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if Shakira music is like free license enough for me to patch in here. If you hear Shakira music after this, it was. If you don't, it wasn't. 
Um, but yeah, you keep, you keep getting on me about like my hips and stuff and why that's why my knees suck. And yeah, but you know, it's, it's been good. It's good. So if nothing else, you should come and watch Dan run. Cause if that's no, funny. You know, just come because it's fun. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, and this is just another chance to remind everyone to just stay active, stay aerobic, you know, work on your body, work on your, you know, your just becoming a better athlete this winter. It really is what separates the best from, from the mediocre. Dan's, Dan is too uh, nice to say this, but I will remind you, riding ski lifts up and skiing down is good exercise. It is not ideal preparation for cycling. If that's your plan this winter and you want to kick butt next riding season, reevaluate. You've do, done a bunch you gotta of podcasts do more than about that. this. you got to do more than that. You can do that. Can't be your only plan, though. Yeah. Um, and before we jump in, uh, we're, we're doing another, uh, another installment of Dan's Cycling Quiz. And this is kind of uh, miscellaneous. I, I've had a theme in the past, ran out of creativity today. I don't have a theme, but I do have three interesting questions for you. Okay. Right? In the spirit of Cyclocross Nationals being today, uh, I'm going to ask you, Dan, this is one of the only cycling disciplines that I'm aware of where there is a mandated tire width. What is it? Is it 30 millimeters? Close. 38? Too much. 32? 33. 33. And they okay. have to actually measure out at 33, which is interesting because on the road, I mean, most people on the road ride 28s these days, even 25s in competition. Some people are up to 30. You can ride whatever you want on the mountain bike. Some people are riding 2.2s at World Cups. Nino's riding 2.4s. But in cyclocross, you have to have 33s. Oh. Kind of interesting. Well, huh? It can't be less than that? No. It can't no. be more? It can't be less? I, I think so. I think I'm correct in saying that. I know it can't be more. Okay. Yeah. So it has to be right Would or more right be on. an advantage? Uh, I don't know. It probably depends on the terrain. I think, I think that's one of those things where it would make such a difference if you went more or less than they mm-hmm. want to like standardize it. But I don't really know if somebody mm-hmm. wants to look that up, they can, they can tell us, but I know Do they make cross minions cross the cross minion. I bet if Max has made that, they'd sell them. Um, second question here at what discipline, what kind of mountain bike race are you least likely to find a dropper post? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to say downhill. You got it. That was kind of a trick question. You're okay. right. Yeah, you don't you don't see that, right? Yeah, because it's just dropped all the time. Right. If, if anybody's not familiar, downhill race, of course, um, no uphill pedaling involved. You start at the top, race down it, and they will have seat posts and saddles, but they'll be tucked very, very low, and they're more just so you can, I don't know, you don't even ever really sit down in a downhill race if you're doing it right. Yeah, it would have been more interesting if Aaron Gwynn lost his seat rather than his chain. Right, that chain. Would, wouldn't make much of a difference. Good callback to a previous quiz yeah, there. And then there, yeah. the last question, this one's kind of interesting. Uh, you are familiar with Bianchi. We've talked about it in an older, in an earlier episode. Oldest bike company by most definitions in the world. Um, do you remember? Do you remember the year Bianchi was founded? I don't know. In the 1800s. Yeah, it's 1885. Okay. So properly old. Now, they haven't continuously produced bicycles since then. So some nerdy people who are no fun will say that technically there's older, but we call Bianchi the oldest in the world. And, and you know, Bianchis have that distinctive color, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen this. We're on a podcast, so I can't show you. But most Bianchis are a color that's called celeste or celeste in italian and it's kind of like a like a light bluish green kind of it actually used to be a definitive blue and in the past few years it's kind of morphed into this kind of minty green color but that is the definitive color of bianchi right you see that color you assume it's a bianchi even if it was someone else's bike now my question for you is where did that color come from and i have three different explanations for where that color came from and you have to tell me which one is correct okay 
Okay, can I guess first? Get, yeah, sure, sure. Free guess here. Free okay. guess. It was Pablo Bianchi's daughter's <laughs> favorite color. Pablo Bianchi. So his name was Eduardo Bianchi. Oh, Eduardo. Okay. You're, you're close. Um, but no, no, that is incorrect. So option number one, the color was created when company founder Eduardo Bianchi made a bike at the request of the Italian queen and decided to paint it to match her eyes. Number one. Number two, the color comes from a mix of surplus military paints left over from World War I. Number three, the color was supposed to be the same hue as the sky over Milan, where the company is based. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Putting you on the spot those, here. Those all sound wrong. Those, those all sound wrong? Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to go with the... Uh, I'm going to go with the wrong answer, and that's the... Um, the the World War Two paints World War One well, well, oh yeah World War One so so this was a trick question no one knows but all three of those have been suggested by different people who have worked for the company a few years oh. ago somebody asked the president of the Bianchi like to def like clear it up where did the color come from he said we have no idea it's been with them so long even when they've made things that aren't bikes um, but all three of those are the three leading explanations for. Where that came Who from? Who has eyes that color? That's I don't know. That is kind of weird. I've I've heard most people think the military one is most likely. That after World War One, there was there wasn't much paint, but there was but, a bunch of this like different military hues, and that's where you kind of get this weird blue oh, and green that was mixed to paint bikes. I was gonna say, were they painting tanks some light blue color? That wouldn't be very threatening if you're. No, well, I don't know. It's World War One, man. I don't know. I'm they're good. they're Italians. You gotta look. You gotta look good more than anything else, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, fun little trick question there. Threw you off, but that you did you did pretty well. I'll I'll, I'll give you I'll give you, you didn't get the the cyclocross one, but you did get the dropper post one, and the third was. So I'll give you fifty percent because I was, third was pretty a trick close question. on the cyclocross thing. I was in the right. The difference between a thirty mil tire and a thirty eight mil tire is so big. I'm not inclined to give you points, but I don't know. Com comment below. Do you think Dan deserves points there? Um, today we will be talking about power meters, and Dan has put more thought into this episode no, not really i actually just <laughs> i read a i read joe Friel's power meter book this last week um and i just i read it it was actually a really good book it they're not so much about power meters specifically just it was more just kind of a another general training book but i've always wanted to read that book so i finally got a chance to read it but i read it but didn't really spend a whole lot of time actually preparing what to say so we'll okay. have to see what it goes this but. is a very well researched episode um dan is going to go over what power meters are how to use them the application of power meters and then briefly at the end i will give a really quick explanation of like how you go about buying one and the kind of technical considerations because it is a little bit hairy um but but it is worth it because i think you'd agree of all the things you can spend money on in cycling power meters got to be pretty high up the list of like you know what's actually going to make you the fastest right yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, I can't really think of anything that you could spend that same amount of money on that could make you directly that much faster. Um, you know, and I think about, okay, because you will talk about power meters and their costs and so forth, and it right. is an investment, but, you know, how many how many of these kids out there have $6,000 bikes, but right. don't have a $600 power meter? You know, so. Right, and, and like, as a spoiler for earlier, like, power meters start at around 350 bucks and you can you can spend up to a thousand plus but it's not a ridiculous amount of money like it's not necessary you can totally ride and be fast without i didn't have a power meter until after high school um but 
like, you know, somebody asked me one time, like, what's going to make you faster, carbon wheels or a power meter? It's like, probably the power meter. And it's going to, I mean, few carbon wheels cost $1,000 or less. Yeah. You know. And, you know, with the caveat that you know how to use it and use it right, obviously. But, right, right. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, and they are... It used to be like power meters used to be thousands of dollars. And you might be talking about this when, you know. No, uh, no I, I didn't. But it is true that like, I think if you go back to the 80s, power meters were like a, a thing, um, but they weren't very good. Um, they were a huge hassle and they were unbelievably expensive. Like not even like just for the pros, just for some pros, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had to be, I think maybe I, I, for Greg some Lamond reason, have one? I think Laurent Fillon had one one year and it was like a big deal that they were able to show the audience what is power was I, I could be totally wrong in thinking but it was in that era but um now it's they're ubiquitous in mm-hmm. the pro scene and and tons of amateurs have them too because like i said well i don't think there's probably you could probably list on one hand the number of actual continental pro or like um world tour pros that wouldn't use one i mean i doubt there are any there might not be any i, know, I don't think in there fact are like um even on the continental level Probably very everyone has one. So. I bet a significant proportion of like Nike varsity athletes have. So, them. but that's one thing I do want to point out is we're gonna. I think we're probably gonna sell power meters pretty well today, but they're definitely not required. No, and, and you can still have a fast, fun season that that you improve and, and get better if you don't have one. In fact, I think they might not even be for everybody. I think there's some people that might that might not be their style, you know? Uh, so, so don't think that this is something that we're requiring you to go out and spend money on. We just want to kind of present how they're useful, why they're useful and how to get one. If, if it's something you're interested in. Right. I would say my, the way I'd sum it up, my thoughts is like, they are not required, but if you really care about getting faster, it should be the first thing on your list to buy. Is that fair? Yeah. And, and I kind of learned to love power meters from like, you know, when we used, before we had our own, the, the ability to, to, to spin downstairs, you know, on our, on our Wahoos and stuff. Like we'd go to the gym and the gym bikes had power meters on them. And it was right. really kind of cool because it was just this really objective measure that meant that I can look. And I kind of got really used to doing that. Well, and I guess that's a good place to start is like, why not just use heart rate? Because heart rate is is cheap, you know. You can you can probably get a heart rate monitor for like less than fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. You know that you can you can show on your bike computer or even on like a watch. So why not just heart rate? Okay, well, so there are there are actually four main metrics that we really need to monitor when we're training on a bike. Okay, um, heart rate's one of them, and it's 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 a really big one. It's important. There's heart rate. There's your rate of perceived exertion is the second one. The third one is speed. And the fourth one's power. And really quick, we should like define power because power to me is like applied force, right? Like what, the way a power meter works is it's, it measures how much your crank or your pedal spindle or something is flexing and then multiplies that by yeah. the number of rotations. Yeah, the right? formula for power, it's power is equal to force times velocity. Right. So... It's the amount of pressure you're putting on your pedals times by how fast those pedals are going in circles. And spoiler alert, they both need to be good to be fast. You know, you have to be able to put a lot of power on and you have to do it fast to to be fast. So, but those are the, the four metrics that, that we kind of monitor. Now, an, um, an interesting question would be, 
is which of those four are the most important? Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. So Dan, which of those four is the most important? See, I can't answer that question. Well, because they, they all do different things, right? Really, like you can have a really high heart rate, but be or like be on a good day and your rate of perceived exertion might be really low because you're in good shape. Or you could have uh, like climbing Rattlesnake Gulch here in Mill Creek Canyon. You've mentioned before that like your heart rate will be really high and your perceived exertion is really high, but your power is pretty low because it's so steep that you can't be, you can't well, pedal that fast. Yeah, that, right? I mean, that's an interesting one because my torque is really high, but the right. RPMs are low. Which means so the power powers. is actually really low going up Rattlesnake Gulch when you think you're putting forth, you know. Right. But um, yeah, each of them is real. Like I could argue that, almost argue that each one of those four things is the most important thing to monitor. So obviously the answer is you need to monitor all of them. I mean, heart rate, you know, it's, it's really important to know what's going on inside. Um, right. And how our body's responding to the efforts we're, we're producing. And, um, obviously, you know, with all training and with, with avoiding overtraining and so, so forth, our rate of perceived exertion is, could easily be the most important. Um, and we should say really quick, like, let, let's define that term if, if people aren't familiar. It is basically what it sounds like. It's how, how hard does it feel, right? How hard does it feel? And it's feel? usually like a 1 to 10 scale that is yeah, the standard. Yeah, th that's the most common. There's actually a 1 to 20 scale, which just seems kind of dumb. For nerds. Yeah, it's for nerds. Who's, who feels like there are 13? <laughs> I don't, I don't, even, <laughs> I, it should be 1 to 5. You know, 1 to 20 is for yeah, psychos. 1 to 10 is kind of a, yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's that's super important to be in tune with how we're feeling, you know, um, like Andy Coggins said something that I thought was really profound. Um, he said that if, if it feels hard, it is hard. That's profound. Is that your definition of profundity? You know, for, like if it feels hard, it is. Well, hard. you know, for a scientist like Andy Coggin to say something like that, who basically pioneered modern training as we know it. I mean, he, he invented FTP. He invented, you know, Screw I'll, that guy. Jeez. <laughs> Ruined my life. You know? No, but you're right. Like, if it, it feels hard, it is hard for the most part, right? But then it is interesting to kind of, if you really want to get faster, you do kind of have to drill in a little bit to like, you know, the the, the kind of individual so, finer points of that, right? So the, I guess the, the kind of the key takeaway point is that these different metrics, it's the relationship to one another that becomes important. Okay. And, you know, the one that at first I kind of thought, well, you know, speed probably is the least important, you know, because I never... I never look at my speedometer. That's what I'm inclined to say too, because speed can be affected by so many different things, right? Yeah, it can. But what wins race? What actually wins races? The highest average speed. Yeah, you know. So, so it's important, but maybe not to train too so much, because all this is all the time. Like people be like in Bicycling Magazine or some something like really entry level, like ride 25 miles an hour for this long. I'm like. 25 yeah, miles an hour where that, that doesn't uphill doesn't, downhill on what bike yeah. on a mountain bike that's gonna be a lot harder than an aero bike your brakes and stuff right yeah. so so we'll kind of go over each of these ones and kind of talk about talk about them right um but but let's um let's first talk about power as we mentioned power is the amount of pressure you're putting on the pedals your torque times your cadence basically and to get faster over a given distance or or have more power over a given amount of time you have to increase one or the other number and you either have to pedal harder or pedal faster yeah right yeah yeah um rattlesnake was a great i'm glad you brought that up because that was just like one of the most fascinating realizations that that i had once i actually got a power meter was like 
sometimes when you're just grinding really, really slow and you're just, just standing and mashing on the pedals. Going really hard, we'd say you're going hard, but the power's low. Yeah, the power's surprising. And if you're not familiar, low. Rattlesnake is, is, uh, is a kind of a, a good old, an old-fashioned climb in Mill Creek Canyon, at the very beginning of Mill Creek Canyon, that is... Gosh, what percent do you think it is? I'd say it gets up to about 18 Probably to 15 to 18 percent. And it's very technical too. And and it's a slog. Even with like, you've got like a 30 tooth with a 52 out back. You know, even climbing it with that, your your cadence is what? Like, like 30, 30, yeah. You know? And so even though there's, like you said, a ton of torque going in, um, the cadence is slow, so low that the power number is, is coming back lower than you'd think for how hard you're going, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it, it's it's it was kind of an interesting realization, you know, and 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 that's why cadence is so important because you really need to get good cadence to achieve good power, you know. So, right. um, which is another thing to monitor too. But um, anyhow, so so some advantages of power of of measuring power. Um, one is it's instantaneous, you know, when when you go to start an effort you're instant it's instantly registering the amount of of power you're putting into the pedals and we're saying as opposed to heart rate where like it could take a minute for your heart rate to catch up to the effort you just did i mean maybe not that long but like there is a significant delay where you it's, it's hard especially on the mountain bike to look at your heart rate and decide if you're going too easy or too hard mm-hmm. you know over five or ten minutes you probably could but in the moment power meter can help you decide I need to ramp it up or ramp it down, right? Yeah. Is that what you're kind of yeah, trying to the, say there? The power meter is instantaneous where rate of perceived exertion and heart rate, there's both a lag right? on, on both of those. Um, it's, it's also very objective. It's really not as subject to outside factors as like heart rate would, heart rate would be or rate of perceived exertion. Um, you know, sometimes if you're having a bad day, things can feel more painful than they actually are and or um, if you're sick your heart rate could be higher yeah, the or heart, the, there's tons of the temperatures different like the point is you can't see like oh my heart rate is 130 i need to do this yeah. there's way too much stuff in the way for you to make good decisions based on that but practically for me my the i think the most useful thing for a power meter is is like pacing your intervals mm-hmm. because it's very difficult to pace them with with heart rate or with rate of perceived exertion or obviously speed because without power on that first one you're going to go way way too hard and on the last ones you're going to be going way too easy Mm -hmm. you know like the power meter allows you to do that first interval that feels too easy and make sure that you get to the last one and you're still doing 300 watts on your 10th interval instead of doing 500 on the first and 150 on the last right yeah and um another thing that's awesome about it is just pacing your long your long rides Um, right you know you can um you know, it's interesting. We so we went on our three-hour ride yesterday. I had a power meter. Joe didn't. You know, and um, and we were just out having fun. We weren't. We didn't like decide that this was supposed to be a zone two ride or anything. It was just we were just out riding. You know, but it was interesting to kind of see that like. And Joe led most of the time. Um, and may or may not have dropped me occasionally, but occasionally, <laughs> being but, charitable there, Dan. But like you know, as soon as it would hit a climb you know, I would look down and we'd be doing like, I'd be doing like 300 and 350 Watts, you know, when it was flat, we'd be doing like a hundred and cause I was letting you catch up, you know, 150 or hundred, you know, so, um, so it really, really helps with, with pacing long rides. Like, 
I, I think it's especially important for like when I, when we do like our long epicish rides, I'll always kind of have like this power target in mind that I really like to keep the, keep the ride to. And I even have like another number that I kind of like to keep my spikes below. Right. Cause on a mountain bike and, and most of the stuff of the literature on power meters has to do with the road biking where your efforts are a lot more consistent, you know, um, on the mountain bike, it is tricky because even on a zone two ride, you're occasionally going to have to jump up over a log, right. Or go around a really steep switchback. Or, you know, I mean, you just going up a, a steeper hill or something, you know, and, and, and I just kind of, I like to use the, the power meter just helps you pace it so that, you know, usually by like when we start out these rides, usually people think I'm going too slow. Right. And by the end of the ride, I'm getting told to slow down sometimes, you know, and really I've maintained a, a similar power throughout the entire ride. It's just that pacing makes that possible, you know? And I'll say for, for like, whenever I was talking to my, my predominantly older customers at my previous job, I'd kind of sell power meters as like, it helps you go hard when you don't think you need to. It's like, oh, I'm only doing 200 watts and you go harder. I think for younger kids, it's the opposite. I think power meters more serve to kind of put a leash on them a little bit and be like, no, slow down a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. like, or in the first lap of a race, if you're on that first climb, you're doing 600 watts, you probably reel it in a little bit because you have so much adrenaline and stuff and you feel good. Um, I think for older people, power meters make you work harder. And for younger people, power meters make you work Kind of a life. leash for some people. Yeah, exactly. So here's something really interesting that that's really cool about power meters because you know how every pretty much everybody and I think most people can relate when you're on a ride and you're either going downhill or on the flat it's pretty pleasant and enjoyable right one thing that's just amazing about a power meter is it makes it so you don't necessarily dread hills anymore that is true because I'll explain why because like if your coach tells you to keep it at 180 watts, that means like you should be dreading the flat parts just as much as you're dreading the climbs, you know, because like, it, you know, once you hit a climb, that doesn't mean you're all of a sudden going to have to produce more power. It means you're almost going to have to scale back from what you're usually used to producing to keep it at that 180 watts. And when it's flatter downhill, that's when you're really going to have to work because you know, most people are kind of used to easing up when it's flatter downhill. Well, know? this is interesting because I remember in the very early days of the Skyline team, we were coached by a gentleman named uh, Lakota. You remember him, right? And and he's since gone on. His name's Logan Fipp, and he's since gone on to uh, race uh, on the Novo Nordisk. Uh, pro, I think they're a pro Connie team right now. Yeah. Um, he's done races. He's been in the same race as Mark Cavendish and Andre Greipel and goes to the Tour of Turkey and stuff. Pretty high-level pro. And I remember him asking us one time, he was like, what's the best part of a hill to attack on? And we we're kind of like, is it the first? Is it attacking it like halfway? He said, it's, it's not on the hill. It's right after it. It's that bit where everybody else is resting at the top of the hill. If you keep going there, that's where you're going to make moves, right? And that was his philosophy is like, you know, be consistent so that, because most kids, especially younger kids, are going to sprint on the hills and... Recover, rest on the flats. Rest on the flats. I mean, if you can kind of, and sometimes it means letting people go for a second. If you can be consistent, especially at Nike races, 
this is like a hack, you know? And the interesting thing, it's really easy to go hard on climbs. It's kind of hard mentally. I struggle to, to push hard on mightily flats. to push hard on flats. You know, it's much easier to do it on a climb. In I don't fact, know if you, if you took an FTP test on a climb versus on flat, it would, you'd get a completely different result. Oh, a hundred percent, which yeah. is, which is why, you know, like pick one or the other and stick with it, you know, consist. We're going to talk about consistency a lot on this. Yeah. So um, so some other cool th advantages of, of, of a power meter is, um, you know, it, we, with your training, it can help like your, it can make your training, you can be aware what, what power targets are necessary to do well in your event. And you can replicate those in your training without ever having to go just do the actual course over and over again. You know, you can replicate the demands of a, a race just by power. Right. Um, like if you know what point to point to hit this time, I need to be doing this power on Armstrong, right? You can go and do that power on pipeline or somewhere else or on your road on bike. On your trainer you know? or something. On your trainer, yeah. you know, like it, it's, it's awesome to kind of have a, a rough idea of like, this is the power I need to do as well as I want to. So there's like no surprises on race day. Exactly. Kind of cool. Um, it, it's also really cool to be able to um, identify your limits and really objectively push those limits and improve on areas of weakness and so forth. Um, so is it, what, what do you mean by that? Like, where have you done that? Well, you know, you can, and there's different like power profile tests you can take and so forth, you know, but if you identify that like a certain duration at a certain power is kind of a, a limiting weakness for you, you can, you can do efforts at that and kind of record your progress and, you know, maybe compare those times at like one point in the season versus another. And you can see if you're making progress or not. And, um, so it, it you know, we'll talk a little more of it about the data and, and so forth, but it's really kind of a powerful tool to be able to, to know that you're actually making improvements, right. You know, cause it's measurable. Right. Makes no yeah. sense. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and probably one of the coolest things too about having a power meter is it basically makes your data almost three-dimensional. Whereas if you're just dealing with heart rate and RP, it's kind of two-dimensional and it just adds, it makes, it just paints a better picture of, of what's going on and, and allows for a whole lot of useful um, metrics that you really don't have access to without it. So I'm, I'm curious, is a power meter more useful on your ride or after your ride? That's a really, I like that question. Um, Thank you. That's, that sounded so, profound in my head. Uh, I would, I would say that for most amateur type athletes without like a lot of coaching knowledge and so forth, it's going to be more important for your pacing you know, just mainly you're pacing your intervals and pacing your longer rides, but that's kind of missing out on a lot of the beauty of the device is like the data you can collect from it. And, and like, if you just rode and looked at your power meter and then submitted your ride to Strava or whatever, and then like never thought about it again, there's like a whole half of the power meter experience you're missing out on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's still very valuable to, to improve your pacing and so forth, but, um, the, the data that's collected from power meters is really, really powerful. In fact, you know, this is kind of a tangent, you know, but there's almost um, like, like companies like Training Peaks and Trainer Road 
are able to with you know with all these riders they have heart rate monitors and they have power meters that and, and cadence sensors that are recording all their rides and they're collecting just millions and millions and millions of hours of riding from riders all across the world and they're doing really interesting things with this data really and, and like 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 programming ai or like what is it they're actually doing with it you know they're just kind of like they're able to just i mean it's it's kind of a different part of the science of of training where you know it's not there's the science that kind of takes place in a lab where you hook a few people up to a machine and have them do different things. And then there's this where they're just analyzing it's like metadata almost. They're right? analyzing, you know, like what are these athletes doing and who's, is it, how is it improving them? And, you know, and it's really kind of, kind of cool. Tim Cusack with training peaks is kind of the guy that's the, the mad scientist behind a lot of that stuff. But yeah, that's kind of a little tangent, but um, yeah, the data part is, is, really cool and interesting and, and can be really enlightening once you kind of learn a little bit more about what that means. Um, and we'll talk about that more at the end if we have time. But um, so, so let's just talk a little bit about like heart rate. Um, you know, I, I, you, you definitely should monitor your heart rate as you train and as you ride. Um, but there, there's definitely some pros. One of the biggest pros to heart rate is it's pretty inexpensive. Yeah, like like a heart rate monitor is is almost nothing, you know. And we're assuming here you already have a bike computer or something to display it. But even if you don't, you could have you know like the like the a watch. A lot of people have watches that keep track of it that you can link to your bike computer and stuff. Yeah, and, and a heart rate monitor is like fifty bucks, you know. And, and like power meters are much cheaper than they used to be. But you know, I think I think first off, you understand how to use heart rate, right? And then power is kind of to supplement it, or do you replace heart rate with power? Or? You know, the more I've thought about this, the more they're all equally important. Um, but so, so heart rate monitors, I think they're good for like, um, like endurance paced rides. I think they're not good for like really hard, short efforts. You know, there's just too much heart rate lag to really make them useful to pace your intervals by. Um, but they're really pretty, they can be pretty decent for keeping you in a, like in a zone two pace. I do prefer power meters on pacing a zone two right over heart rate. Um, but both would do a decent job. So you, you not just have to understand both. You have to understand how they interact with each other, right. To get this full three dimensional picture you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, and, and you know, another really important thing about a heart rate monitor is they are good at identifying potential problems. Like, you know, if, if your heart rate's unusually low or unusually high, um, could be indicative of a health problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there are some, I mean, there are, they do have their weaknesses. Uh, probably the biggest one is just that it's, there's just a pretty big lag because like when you go to do a hard effort, it's not like your heart starts pumping and then your muscles start working hard. And the, you know, what happens is your, your brain signals, your muscles to work hard and it starts demanding all this blood and oxygen. And then that signals the heart to send more. It's, it's like your heart's responding to requests from your leg and muscles. They're not being activated at the same time is like a grossly simplified way of thinking. No, that's about exactly it, right? what that's. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. So, um, and you know, and, and of all those, like the, the four metrics I talked about, you know, like power and, and speed, they're both, um, you know, they both kind of measure performance or, or results, basically. But 
But heart rate and RPE kind of more measure like input or effort. So that makes it like power and speed are a result of, of the work that's going on inside your body, mm-hmm. right? And heart rate and RPE are the only real... Because that's because power is not an internal measurement. Power is an external measurement. Oh, okay. Yeah. Look at us. Wow. We sound so, so much more official than we are. <laughs> so like, like I kind of compare it to like you're driving a car and you've got a tachometer that measures the RPMs, the, you know, that your engine's spinning, you know, and... But if you're trying to drive through a neighborhood at 25 miles an hour, you couldn't really look at your tachometer to know how fast you're going. Right. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's almost like in that, it's like that's heart rate and then the power's speed. In, I that, don't know. in that case, it's kind of like speed. Right. You know? So okay. it's an ex- it, like an internal measurement versus like an external measurement, you know. Um, yeah. So, um, but... Another kind of drawback for heart rate is sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to interpret. Um, you know, like you can have a high heart rate for for one reason or another, and it may or may not be a problem. And I mean, usually it's, it's rarely a problem, you know. But, but when it is, it's a serious yeah, problem. You know. Yeah. And, and one, one thing I kind of found with heart rate is like I would always like I... Like with a, they they say that chest straps are the most reliable and accurate, but you know I was recently having like you know I'd I'd go to Zwift and I have my my chest strap on and I would look at my heart rate before I even started riding, and it was like 150 and I'm like oh that's bad, I'm like okay but I felt just fine I felt just like if I wasn't wearing a heart rate monitor I wouldn't be worried, so I actually had my son who works at the emergency room. Um, I'm like, Hey, just put a stethoscope on my chest. I just want to make sure. And he, you know, I was watching my heart rate monitor saying I was, my heart was beating 150 and he's actually got a stethoscope on my chest. And he's like, uh, you're like 60, 70, you know? So, so something was obviously kind of out of whack and, um, but I was glad to check it, you know, with an, with another method. Um, not all heart rate monitors are created equal. And this is true of power meters too. You know, um, if you've had a heart rate monitor for a long time, it'll go on the fritz eventually. If you buy a really cheap cereal boxy one, it's not going to work very well. You know, we, I found that the, um, the whoop ones, that's, I've actually been broadcasting my whoop to my Garmin and then to Zwift and to get I've, my numbers. I've started doing that as well lately, and I haven't had any... It seems to be pretty it good. It seems to be more reliable I think the conventional me. wisdom of chest straps are the best is probably a relic of an age where the alternative options were pretty crappy, and that's not the case anymore. Yeah, so... But yeah, so your heart rate... Evaluating heart rate does take a little bit of a grain of salt just because it can be affected by elevation, hydration how well you slept the night before your nutrition status, your, you know, just so many, like your stress levels. Um, you know, so it's not always objective. Whereas power is kind of just power, right? you know, as long as you've calibrated it. So, um, you know, and like, like Joe is kind of alluding to like, if you tried to, um, if you tried to pace, a, like a, a three minute interval on, on heart rate, you know, you would, you know, when you first start, you couldn't get it high enough, you know, and then, right. And then once you get going, it's like too hard. And you, so you kind of back off. It's not really going down all that much in between. Right. Yeah. And and in fact, like after you stop the effort, the heart rate's going to stay elevated for, you know, another minute. And, um, 
you know, if, if you like, you know, if you try to like, you could never do a 30, 30 and use your heart rate to pace that, you know, because like heart rates, like if you're climbing a Canyon, you're like, I need to stay below 150 beats. while I climb this Canyon. Like, and that's why I say it's, it's pretty good for a, like an endurance paced ride. Right. But I, I do tend to prefer using power on those even still because say for instance, you know, say you did a ride and you were riding mostly in zone one, like say you're mostly doing 80 Watts, but every once in a while for about 20 seconds, you were bumping up to 300 Watts, um, for, for like 15 seconds. But most of the time you were riding 80 Watts, your heart rate might still just register a nice zone two the whole time. Even though you're doing even though that's damage a, that's outside of a zone two. Right? Yeah, even though that's a totally different type of ride. So, so basically, power meters win pacing is what we're trying to say. Like, power meter will always be... Sometimes... I it, should have just said that. That just power, sounds so simple when you say it. Well, that I'm usually not the concise one, so I'm trying to be concise <laughs> today. But power meters win pacing, but then it's this kind of complex 3D relationship with heart rate and perceived exertion to tell the story of training more, right? Yeah, because... Really, heart rate becomes very valuable when it can be paired with with another metric. Like you can compare your heart rate with your perceived exertion, or you can compare heart rate with with the power you're putting out. So, like practically speaking, how do you actually compare your power and heart rate? Okay, yeah, super important. Um, you basically your your ability to produce power should increase with your heart rate staying constant if your fitness is improving. Say that again. That was important. So like go, go through that again slowly. Okay. So I might say it a different you way. You should be producing more power at the same heart rate if you're getting better. Yeah. Okay. All right. That yeah. Like your, your heart rate, like, like say you're doing a 30 minute effort. Okay. Right. And your heart rate is at 180. Um, and your average power over that 30 minute effort is 200 Watts. 200 watts. Yeah. So like later in the season, that you're, same 30 minutes at that same 180 beats per minute, you're hoping to do 250. Yeah. You're hoping to do more. That so would you're, be a huge improvement, yeah. but, yeah. but yeah, you're basically able to do more power when your heart rate remains constant. Right. Okay. That so. is, that is putting numbers to the concept of getting yeah. better. Right? Cause really like our goal with training isn't to get a higher heart rate. Well, that's where like the famous saying, like, it doesn't get easier. You just go faster. Like I could go and suffer as hard as a world tour pro. I could have my heart rate as high as a world tour pro for the same amount of time. They're just going to be kicking out a lot of power and consequently they'll be going faster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So having a high heart rate is, does not indicate that you're having a good performance. Right. Yeah. So you really want to be able to do, to produce more power at the same given heart rate. And then there's a lot of metrics that actually compare that and like training peaks and so forth. We'll talk about those in a sec, but yeah. Yeah. That's a super important concept. Um, so the next, the next thing we measure, we, t so we talked about power, we talked about heart rate. Let's talk about RPE a little bit. Okay. Rate of perceived exertion. This is like super important. And it's something that, that I honestly think that my power meter has helped me be better at. Like help you calibrate your RPE? A little bit. Cause yeah. you don't, you don't pay anything to measure your RPE. Yeah. This is something we're all born with. It's free. Comes and, with a subscription. Yeah. But it's, you know, I, I think sometimes I worry that, you know, people that have power meters and, and heart rate monitors start to ignore the RPE. Right. And, and that's bad, you know, right. 
like each one of those things is just as important as the other. Um, yeah. So, um, we, we mentioned earlier that, you know, that basically rate of perceived exertion is just recognizing how you feel, you know, and how hard the effort feels, but it becomes really important when you compare that with the, the amount of power that you're putting out. And like a couple examples of this, you know, like, you know, I, I've lost a lot of fitness this winter. I kind of got sick at the beginning of the winter. I had a minor knee injury. So my training hasn't been that great, you know, so I will be like when I'm on, when I'm like doing my Zwift workout or whatever, you know, I'll be at a, a fairly low wattage, you know, I'll be, I'll be working and, and it feels like I'm working really, really hard, but I look down on my wattage is only like 180 or something, you know, where, right. And if I didn't have that data, I might feel like things were just fine and I was pushing real hard and, and going real fast, you know, but really, um, it just felt like I was, even though like the power I was producing wasn't that good. So, um, so yeah, so comparing your RPE with the amount of power that you're actually producing is, is, is super important. RPE is actually pretty, a pretty good way to pace things. Hmm. Um, but there is still a delay similar to like with heart rate, you know, like the first 10 seconds of that attack feel really good. The last 10 are, are the deepest depths of hell, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, another thing too about RPE is like, like, like within racing too, a lot of what we do is emotional too. And a lot of times you get like the emotions going, the adrenaline going, your, your RPE isn't, isn't going to really limit you very much in those circumstances and that's when it's good to kind of have some more objective numbers from a power meter to power meter wins pacing power yeah wins pacing um so and then the last one the last one is is talking about speed right you know and like but i mentioned before that i really i like i rarely ever look at my speedometer because kind of like it is what it is like if i told you to go do uh like ride for do a 20 minute effort, but you had to ride at 15 miles an hour the whole time. I, mean, I would drive to the top of a hill and go down it, but you'd have to use your brakes, you know, or yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so, so speed isn't, isn't a great, object. well, it, it's kind of like the riddle. Like you, you could ask somebody like two riders have the exact same heart rate and the exact same power. Um, and one is crushing the other. And the reason is because one of the riders is lighter and they're going up a hill. Right. You know, like there's, there's, or even on the flat, two riders who weigh the same, One's going way faster than the other. One of them's on an aerobike. bike. One of them's not, you know, like speed is maybe the worst tool for pacing if we had to rank them. But at the end of the day, like you said, it, it is what wins races. And so I think the, the most valuable tool out there for measuring speed is, well, probably two things, but one is just Strava. I think, I think this is the main reason I would recommend people use Strava, you know, because like, our goal in training really necess- isn't necessarily to be, I mean, it's obviously not to, to, to have a faster heart rate. It's not to have things be more painful. You know, it's, it's, it's not even necessarily to produce more power. It's really to get faster, you know? Right. And, and Strava actually does a pretty good job of measuring that. But especially if you're comparing you know how it's best with if you compare more than one of those um, metrics, 
if you're comparing your Strava segment results with your RPE. You know, and I think a really good sign that you're getting fitter is to get a lot of personal records on an easy paced ride. You know? Right. Or even like I have my same road loops that I do all the time and, and that I'll do multiple times a week. And then I can see that's another cool thing about Strava is you can go to like segment result history and you can see the little dots going up and up and up and up and up, you know, like that you're getting faster and faster and faster over time. Um, you know, cause yeah, that's how it works. Cause like the, the higher they are on the graph, the faster they are. And I can see on a segment that I ride every day during, you know, or not every day, but like, you know, three or four times a week during the, the course of the week that like my times are kind of trending up over parts of the year and then trending down over parts of the year. Yeah. In a way it's really kind of where the training rubber hits the road, you know, cause it is nice to be able to produce more, more power at a given duration and so forth. And, um, at a lower heart rate or whatever, but it's really cool to see that it actually translates into becoming a faster cyclist. It's all, it's like, it's like an algebra equation where speed is, is it equals speed, right? You can play with all of the other variables and it's like, you could even, you can do algebra and, and do it by speed and then reverse engineer. But at the end of the day, it's all of these things are working together to decide how fast you're going. Right. Yeah. So, so there's some, um, I mentioned one of the like kind of the beauty of a power meter other than just pacing is is some of the data that it can it can help collect and and you know and there's really you know training peaks is probably the the most popular program to help analyze this data and so forth and um but since since like power training is kind of developed there's there's almost been some like new terms and and metrics that are really good to be aware of. And I just wanted to go over these really quick. Each one of these, we could probably do an entire podcast about. And we will. Don't and worry. We will. Don't worry. Yeah, We're, we'll get to that. But I just wanted to talk about some of these things um, because I'm sure you've seen them come up. And so you can kind of know, know what they're about. Uh, Joe's over here yawning. So I just feel like I'm boring him. I was up late. Don't worry about it. Okay. Work Christmas party. Lots okay. of fun. So the, the first one of these to be aware of is, have you heard of normalized power? Yes, and I'll try to define these. So okay. normalized power is like a modified version of average power where you're chopping out all the zeros, right? So basically normalized power is when you were pedaling, you were doing this power. So it's it's actually more that it's um, it's giving, it's weighing your hard efforts heavier than the easy efforts. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't and, realize that. Yeah. I thought my description was spot on. Yeah, so like... So like if you went on a ride for, uh, for 20 minutes and, you know, and you just pegged it right at 180 Watts, that would be your, basically your average power. Right. Um, you could also do a, did I say it was a 20 minute ride? You could do a 20 minute ride where you were doing like, um, five minutes on just as hard as you could go. And then five minutes just coasting and then five minutes on and you might, you know, your both of those rides, power, your average power could be, could the, be the same, but it's a completely different ride. Right. And so normalized power is going to like rides where you have, or you're using a lot of intensity. It'll weigh those intense efforts heavier. And it kind of gives you a better feel of how hard the ride actually was. With an asterisk though, because like, like your normalized power could be really high, but there could be big gaps of coasting in between or descending. Right. Cause like, because normalized power is always kind of close. In but my, normalized power will always be higher than average power. Like mathematically, it has to be, right? I think so. Yeah, that seems to make sense. 
Right. Okay. That yeah, that makes sense. Because I, I like normalized power is very useful for looking at certain things, but I think it doesn't. It's give, super useful for mountain bike races, but it doesn't give a representative idea of the actual effort. You know, because like a normalized, you could have like a normalized effort over twenty minutes. That did I say that wrong? The normalized power is very useful for like mountain biking. Right. Right. Because yeah. there's there's less there's, useful yeah. for like um, triathlon or something or but right. Um, yeah, super useful metric for mountain biking. And, um, you know, an, another power-based term, and we, we talked about this a lot during our trainer on the episode where we talked about trainers. Go back and listen to that. Right. And we're going to do talk about this a lot is, is FTP, FTP testing, FT. Um, Again, functional threshold power, theoretically the average amount of power you can hold for an hour. And, and basically what it replaces is is it used to be that you would have to get tested like – um, on a metabolic cart for your VO2 max or do like a lactate threshold test or something. And that's something that not everyone has access to. So um, Andy Coggin developed functional threshold testing is something that like normal people can base their zones on. And, um, you know, it's not, doesn't necessarily represent an exact thing that your body's doing, but it, it's good to, to, gauge our fitness off of and, and right. calibrate our zones. Um, intensity factor IF, have you seen that? Oh, basically how hard was your ride, right? Is like the very oversimplified. Or how intense. Okay. Yeah. And not and, a number I usually look at. Yeah. It's a, it's a number you'll see a lot. Um, it's basically just what percentage that particular ride or workout was of your FTP. So if it's if it's a one that meant you rode at FTP the entire time, which would be a very hard workout that you could theoretically you should only be able to do for an hour. Well, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's a short, if it's only a three minute workout, you could do that. But right, right, right. Um, you know, like if it's a if it's a six hour ride and you were at point seven, that would have been a really that's hard, a hard yeah, ride. Yeah, that's yeah. like almost impossible. But yeah, right, right, right. Um, but then. Something that's super important, and we'll talk a lot about this, is TSS, mm. which is training stress score. And this can also be measured. They can they can do a heart rate training stress score too. But um, yes, training stress score is is a, is a score that Training Peaks assign you. They'll basically take a workout and figure out how difficult that workout was, how much training stress that caused, and you get that number for the day. And they use that number. Um, to kind of calculate your fitness. For Let me take a whack at this. Isn't it that a hundred would be an FTP test? Exactly. Yeah. And so like if you wrote at FTP for an hour, that would give you a hundred TSS. Um, but also if you wrote at 50% of threshold for two hours, that'd also be, well, the formula is duration times normalized power times intensity factor divided by FTP. Gross. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, whatever. Yeah. So, you don't need to understand it. It basically like, it's like for a good, we could, so maybe we'll start saying like, you need a, a ride that's roughly this TSS this many times a week would be a better way or a more exact way of like saying, oh, you should ride hard twice a week. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, rather than saying, you know, I rode for two hours. Well, was that hard or easy? Well, right. Depends, that could mean a know? lot of, yeah. that could be the hardest ride ever or a recovery ride. Yeah. So, but if you did a ride that was like, my, my 250 TSS, like, whoa, that's a killer ride. Yeah. If it's, if it's 20 TSS, that was a pretty easy ride. So okay. it's a pretty good objective way to measure how hard a ride is. So, okay. And then another one, and this is a super important one that I like to look at. 
Um, it's, it's called decoupling, aerobic decoupling. And that basically what it's doing is it's comparing your heart rate versus power at the beginning of a ride versus at the end of a ride. And so like, say during a ride, you were able to ride at 120 Watts the entire time, just perfectly steady. Um, at the beginning of the ride, your heart rate was, let's say 110. And, but by the end of the ride, your heart rate was 150, which means you're probably weren't in the best shape, you know, because your heart rate increased as you, you know, as your power was steady. stayed the same, yeah, right? Stay the same. And, and that's a good indicator of how aerobically fit you are at a certain amount of, at a certain duration and intensity. Um, and, and this is something that like, like training peaks actually automatically will do this. We'll, we'll look at like a segment and can see how, how much your heart rate decoupled from your power. Um, so it's just basically comparing your power output versus the, the heart rate output. Um, you know, and, and typically 5% or less means that you're aerobically, you're aerobically capable of that effort. Um, and it's a super valuable metric to know when you're ready to like progress onto the next level. Um, you know, the, uh, like the ride we did yesterday, I looked at my, um, aerobic decoupling and it was like 3%. Right. You know, which is actually pretty good. So lower decoupling score means you need to start pushing yourself. It means you harder? can, you can probably handle more. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then, and then another one that we talk about too from time is, you know, your, your Watts per kilogram. Right. Which is, can be a pretty valuable. On, on a climb, that's the math that tells you who wins the race. Yeah. Right. If, on if, a flat, not as much. Right. Yeah. Like two riders could be, I could, like my, my brother Jacob and I, Jacob's like 30, 40 pounds lighter than I am. He and I do the same power on a climb means he's destroying me. Right. I have to be doing, or I always tell my guys, like I'm, I'm the, of the guys I coach, I weigh way more than any of the kids in my group. So I was telling him, like, look, for me to keep up with you on, on a climb, I have to be producing more power, right? And a bigger person is going to produce more power, but that's the really interesting relationship. That's why Tade Pogachar wins, uh, or Jonas Vingegaard would be a better example. That's why he wins on the climb and, you know, Andre Greipel wins on the sprint, you know. But in your training, always focus on increasing your power. None of you at this age, please don't worry about your weight. Focus on the power it, side it, of the equation. You know, anytime you worry about the weight side of the equation, you are going to, it's going to sacrifice power. Right. So, and if, and, if you're a professional, if you are training to increase your power, generally the weight naturally takes care of itself. So yeah, exactly. If you are a professional working with a doctor, you, you know, the, the pros worry about their weight. They do things to make sure they're at the right, right weight at the right times. Um, not for you guys. Don't, yeah, don't you, sweat it's, that. It's very difficult not to sacrifice power as you, right? if you're dropping weight. Be so, careful. Yeah. So anyhow, you know, so that's, yeah. I mean, a power meter, it's an awesome tool. It can open up a lot of great information. It can really help with pacing. Um, not, I mean, you can still have fun. You can still be fast without one, but... People were really fast for a century before they were invented. So, yeah, so. not necessary. Um, really quick, uh, and this, I won't take too long on this, but... Um, power meters are a little hairy from the technical side of things. There's some, some things you should know before you go out and buy one. Um, I don't know if we've explained really so far, but the, the most common forms of power meter right now are crank based. Basically there's, um, a strain gauge built into your crank, 
and it measures how much the crank flexes and then times it by the rotation, right? There are other systems out there. There are pedal-based that take the strain from your pedal spindle. Um, there are hub-based power meters. Um, there's several more I'm forgetting about, but the two big ones now are, are crank-based and pedal-based. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to focus just on the mountain bike side of things here, walking you guys through. I should cover everybody's crank set, and, and based on your crank set, I'm going to tell you what power meter options you have. And that's kind of the, like, doesn't matter what derailers you have, doesn't matter what shift you have, doesn't matter if your bike's hardtail or full suspension, we're mostly focused here on your crank set. Um, if you don't know what you have, go out into the garage. At bare minimum, try to give, you know, you, like if, if you ask me for help with the power meter, I'm going to ask you what crank set do you have right now. Figure that out. And then based on that, um, the the biggest blanket option I'm going to give most people is stages. Most people probably heard of stages. It's kind of the, it's probably the biggest power meter company, I, I feel comfortable saying. Um, and they primarily do, I think exclusively do pedal, um, or excuse me, spindle-based power systems. Um, I'm highlighting stages too because they're also kind of the entry-level price point for good power meters. Um, and there's a stages option for just about everybody. Um, I'll start with Shimano. If you have Shimano cranks, you can just buy a left side crank arm that will only measure power on your left side. And it basically measures power on your left leg, times it by two, and then assumes that's your real power number, right? Now, it is possible that your left and right legs are putting out different amounts of, of force, right? There's different torque between the left and the right. It's surprisingly very small though for most people it's not huge unless you have like an injury or an imbalance or something right so like a lot of people feel like they need it to measure on both legs i have a dual-sided power meter on my road bike right now um because i was in the industry and the cost upcharge up was negligible it is cool you can see your power balance you could see like oh 49 left 51 right you can focus on that it's not necessary. I, I think most people would be just fine with a left side stages power or just a left side power meter in general. Um, there are other brands out there, like 4i is another one that's really good price-wise. I don't think they do much mountain bike stuff though, so I'm gonna focus on stages. Um, the left side stages arm for XT is uh, 375, XTR is 570. They're interchangeable. If you wanna save a buck, you can throw an XT arm, uh, arm on your XTR crank set. Um, weight changes a little bit, but that's it. Shimano is the easiest um, because it's kind of the default in the industry. Um, funny enough, not so much on the mountain bike side anymore, but it's still kind of seen as the industry default. That's where you're going to get the easiest um, carryover. You basically take off the left arm, stick on the stage's left arm. You're all set. Externally, there are very few things to indicate that a stage's power meter is on your bike. It looks almost exactly the same. The strain gauge itself is on the inside face of the arm. Um, but you can't really see it. Like if you took a picture of your bike from the outside, you'd have to have a good eagle eye to tell that there's a power meter on there. Um, same story with Cannondale brand crank. Stages makes a Cannondale arm that's $399 uh, retail. They're a little harder to find um, than the Shimano ones, but they are out there. Now, if you have SRAM or race face, next cranks, or, or basically anything else, Stages is a little more hairy. Um, they do make one, they, they kind of, they make a single left arm carbon, uh, crank, uh, that is uh, kind of a catch all for everything. And, and the, the kind of idea is that you buy their carbon left arm and then you pair it with the appropriate spindle to work with your crank set. Um, and they have, 
spindles that cover basically anything that's 30 mil. Um, so that's if you've got BB30, if you've got Dub, the new SRAM standard, if you've got the Raceface Cinch standard, you go onto Raceface's website, buy, they have like spindles A through G and they've got a chart that tells you what you need. If you have older SRAM arms and they're GXP, there is a specific carbon left side arm for you. The downside there is that it doesn't match the other side, but I don't think many people care. And we've even helped a rider on the team set up the stages carbon left side arm with an aluminum uh, SRAM crank set. So they don't match aesthetically. Nobody is nobody listening to this is going to be able to tell a difference in stiffness, I think. So um, that's the kind of basic gist. A couple more good things to know about stages. Like I said, they make the right arm. You can buy them as a package. Um, I don't think that you need to. Um, we're kind of fans of Dan. Dan uses single side stages power. I'd be happy to if I was going to buy again. Uh, you should know too, if you buy stages, like I said, the strain gauge is on the inside face of the uh, arm. And on some older bikes, it can knock against the chainstay. If you buy a stages arm, make sure that you measure, and there should be 10 millimeters of clearance between the strain gauge and the um, uh, and the chainstay. Um, the only other things I think you should consider is make sure you get the right length. There are three common crank lengths, and really only two on the mountain bike side is 170 and 175. The length will be printed somewhere on the end of the crank arm. So make sure you buy, if you've got a 175 crank set, make sure you buy a 175 arm to go with it. You don't want you know one crank to be shorter than the other. Um, stages, uh, power meters just use a basic watch battery, usually lasts, they say, between 150 and 200 ride hours. I only replace mine once every few months, you know. Um, the next option is the Garmin Rally pedal. And this is really cool because a pedal-based power, power system is super easy. It goes on any bike. You can put these pedals on any bike. It doesn't matter what cranks you have, what drivetrain, anything. Um, you can, like, if your kid's growing a lot, you could buy Garmin pedals, put them on their bike now, take them off when they get their next bike, stick them on the next bike. Um, far and away the easiest. Uh, the Rally XC pedals, they have the XC100 and XC200. 100 are single-sided. Uh, the 200 are double-sided. Again, we've already discussed When you say double-sided, like, like the right and left pedal have it or or like the top and bottom of each pedal no no so it's 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 uh it's the right and left both have it so so with the 200 you're getting power measurements on the left leg and the right leg that's what i thought i just wanted to... yeah exactly yeah you can clip into either side that's not a big deal and they use just like a standard shimano cleat pretty non-invasive um there are some downsides uh that you should consider um they are a little heavy so the garmin rally pedals weigh around 450 grams for reference, uh, XTR weigh about 300 and XT weigh about 350. So it's an extra 100 grams, you know, if you're going from XT pedals, and it's 100 grams of rotating weight, so that's not negligible. Um, I would also, and this, I don't have anything like objective or even really anecdotal to back this up, but like pedal strikes happen. I'm sure Garmin's thought of this, but I would be more concerned about my power meter getting damaged using a pedal-based system than a crank-based system. The reviews have been pretty good. It doesn't seem to have happened to anybody, but I would maybe worry a, a touch about that. Um, and the only other thing you should know is that there is a weight limit on the Garmin pedals. They say if you weigh over 230 pounds, you should not use them. I think that's more of an accuracy issue than a safety one. I can't imagine that like they'll break under you. But if you're under 230 pounds, um, you know... Uh, and you want like the easiest power meter setup, I, I think the Garmin pedals are the way to go. Price-wise, they come in at $700 for single side and $1,200 for double side. So they are a little more than the stages too, which you should consider. 
the last option I'd throw out there is Quark. Uh, Quark is SRAM's power meter company. Uh, they only really, on the mountain bike side, they only really make kind of like uh, options designed for SRAM drivetrains. You could technically use it with an XTR drivetrain, but if you've got an Eagle drivetrain, you should consider the possibility of going to Quark. Uh, out of the gates, I'll tell you, it's about 1100 bucks. And the bummer, the way they've designed it, because they're they're dastardly, is that the carbon arms that came on your bike, you know, if you bought an S-Works and it came with a carbon crank set, XX1, it won't work. You have to buy a whole new set of cranks and a whole new uh, chain ring and a whole new spider. With Quark, it's the spider itself that's measuring the power. Um, the upside is that you get um, very accurate double-sided power that's not going to be susceptible to rock strikes. Um, uh, we didn't talk about accuracy much, but that's a measurement you'll see all the time. Um, you know, like the, the like uh, Quark says that their power meter is is accurate to 1.5 percent, plus or minus 1.5 percent. Stages are about two percent. Garmin supposedly claims one percent on the new rally pedals. Um, I have experienced with my stages power meter getting weird numbers. Like I'll finish right. I'll be like, your maximum power is 2,500 Watts. And it wasn't, or there'll be weird spikes and stuff. It doesn't happen a lot. I don't even really care. It's not, it doesn't cause problems. I, and have, I never really have, but I do have to calibrate it. Like, yeah, you have to calibrate it fairly frequently. Um, and then people have reported with the Garmin pedals that they see some weird spikes. You don't really get that with Quark. The, the power meter, the internals are excellent. I'd say, Short of SRM, the folks who invented power meters and make the $2,500 power meter crank set and stuff, um, Quark is probably the best. That said, it's 1100 bucks, and for most people, I think it's pretty hard to argue, you know, like I'd probably just go with the stages option because it's half as much. So basically, just to kind of sum things up a little bit, um, stages is probably the most economical yeah, but, but still and, good. And, and works great. And works great. Um, the Garmin pedals are the easiest. Easiest move between different bikes. And work you know. fine. Yeah, they work great. Yeah. Um, and the Quark's probably the best, but the most expensive and probably mostly if you have SRAM components, right? And like, uh, candidly, if you have money, if the difference between $500 and $1,000 isn't that big a difference to you, yeah, go with the Quark, you know. It looks nice. You know, your arms will match. You don't have to worry about... And it's lighter. I should say, too, Stages and Quark add, like, no weight to the bike. Um, like, I think a Stages power meter adds, like, f 10 grams or something. That is something you should consider with the Garmin is an extra 100 grams of rotating weight, which is not negligible. Um, if I was going to buy, I'd probably... I would probably go Garmin I overall. would probably, too, just because of the ease and right. the ability to toss it on different bikes. Right, right, right. But yeah, like for 95% of riders, a left side stage is awesome. I've, you know, I've, they kind of had, to be honest, early stages power meters weren't very good. They had a lot of problems. And so they kind of have a, have a bad reputation. I've always loved mine. And again, this is all editorial. I'm out of the industry. No one's paying me to say any of this. I'm not like me getting free product does not write on me saying that I, I like stages. I, I can endorse them. Um, the last kind of like thing I'd throw out there. Um, if you're curious about road and gravel power meter setups, the same principles apply, but there are some extra considerations. You have more options on the roadside. Um, if you are curious, let's have a chat. Um, I'm not going to cover that here. I will also throw out, um, uh, I would stay away from, there's all kinds of like, there was one like a wind-based power meter for like 75 bucks a while ago or something. Stay away from that. That's stupid. 
Um, if you're shopping used uh, for a road bike, like the old Garmin road pedals had all kinds of problems. I'd stay away from those. And like I said, I probably wouldn't shop for a used power meter. I think they're cheap enough that I'd probably just go new. And the older stages power meters were problematic. Um, we are on Gen 3 stages right now. If you're shopping, make sure it's Gen 3. Gen 3 stages are great. That's the last of it. If you have specific questions, if um, you need help shopping, you can get in touch with us. Um, and like I said, for road and gravel, there are some other considerations. So, um, but that's the gist of it. You know, Dan okay. summed it up pretty well. Probably do a left side stages, but Garmin's or Garmin's, there as well. yeah, yeah. And and for all of the the doctors and lawyers listening, Quark's cool too. Fair enough. Sounds good to me. Beautiful. Well, as uh, uh, really quick, the magic word for this week, I will throw it out there. We'll, we'll say uh, candle. Candle's the magic word. I have like four or five people who have got them all right. So um, if you've listened to this point, good for you. This one was a little dense, but I, I, I actually thought this one was interesting. A lot of dance stuff I don't think is that interesting, but this one I, this one I thought was pretty cool. Uh, you guys know where to send questions and uh, uh, ride safe this week. Come to the running group and we'll talk to you uh, next Sunday.